This morning we're reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. If you have your Bible, open it up. Or you can bring your phone and the Bible app and read along. Or it's also on the screen. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church, and good morning to all of you who are worshiping with us online. It's uh, always a privilege to be here and to proclaim God's word. And as we were singing that song, ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you. Let's pray that that will be what happens to us this morning, that as we, as we delve into these ancient world words, <clears throat> excuse me, will be changed. We'll be changed to be more like Jesus. So let's pray for that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for bringing each of us, all of us together this morning. And Lord, we pray that, um, we pray that you would change us, Lord. We pray that as we look and read and examine these words, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will use these ancient words to change us. Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be more like Jesus. And we pray that you will help us to do that even now, even this morning. In your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard that expression, a hill to die on? It refers to something that's so important, so significant, that you'd stake your life on it. In wartime, people put their life on the line to defend their country or their freedom. That's the hill they're willing to die on. For parents, who love their children more than they love their own lives, who would willingly die for their kids, that's the hill they would die on. When David wrote Psalm 63, 
He said this of the Lord. He said, your steadfast love is better than life. In other words, David loved the Lord more than he loved his own life. This was his hill to die on. Paul, in Philippians 1.21, wrote that to live is Christ and to die is gain. He is, he is saying that Jesus Christ is better better than this life. He is the hill that he would die on. Well, just this past week, Ann and I received a letter from a mission agency, and one of the lines in it said this. It said, in Central Asia, choosing to follow Jesus can mean, listen to this, no school for your children, no grass for your cattle, and no water for your crops. Families are often banished from communities. Believers who convert from Islam put their very lives at risk. And yet, they're willing to follow Jesus. They're willing to follow Jesus because he is so worthy, because he is better than life. He is the hill that they're willing to die on. Jesus and his most excellent ministry is a hill to die on. That's what the writer of today's reading from the book of Hebrews is saying to us today. Jesus and his most excellent ministry is a hill to die on. Well, as I've been going through, uh, as we've been going through together through the book of Hebrews, it's fair, I think, to say that it's a challenging, it's a challenging book. And um, like much of the rest of the book of Hebrews that we've been looking at, these first six verses of chapter eight are not always that easy for our 21st century minds to get our heads around. But remember this. Remember that these words were being written to a group of Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. They were under pressure, a lot of pressure, to desert their newfound faith and to revert back to Judaism. And so the writer of Hebrews was writing these words not simply to expound some obscure point of theology, as we might at first think. But instead, he was trying to get at the very core, the very center, the very heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And he's saying in today's reading that these vital signs, these vital points of what it means to follow Jesus are worth staking our lives on. In today's reading, the writer of Hebrews is telling his readers about the ministry of Jesus. And his talk, his talk of Jesus' ministry, he's saying, is crucial. This 
This is the hill to die on. He's telling that to his readers then. And I think if we listen carefully to what he's saying, we'll see that it's true for you and for me today. To help us get a grip on what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, we're going to examine this morning five words. Five words from the book of Hebrews. Five words that the writer of Hebrews used to describe Jesus and his more excellent ministry. So here are the five words. Word number one, high priest. I know it's two words, but it's a phrase. So just bear with me. Word number one, high priest. Chapter 7 of Hebrews finishes off by saying, the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, that is, the word of God, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And then at the beginning of chapter 8, in the words that Miriam just read, it begins, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews is saying, is the perfect high priest. Now we know that Jesus, when he came to earth, was sinless. In that respect, he came to earth perfect. But what was more is that by his death on the cross, Jesus made the perfect sacrifice. As Philippians 2 tells us, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Why is this so important? Because without the perfect priest who is Jesus, who died for us, without the perfect priest who died for us, who sacrificed his very self for us, we have no hope. Like every human being, we all are sinners. We all are sinners who come short of the glory of God. And our sin, do you know what it does? It blocks us off. It cuts us off. It separates us from God. And yet Jesus, Jesus, the perfect high priest, has made a sacrifice, his very life, to pay the penalty for our sin. Let's be honest. To, to confess our sins is not an easy thing. To confess our sin is embarrassing, especially if we're truly honest about our sin. But as we bring our sinful lives to Jesus, the perfect high priest, by his perfect sacrifice, he washes us clean. 
What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Each week as we confess our sin in our service here on Sunday morning, do you ever consider this a highlight, a high point of your worship? Does it ever occur to you, did it ever occur to you, how exciting is this that I can bring my sin before God? And not only can I bring my sin before God, but he will wash it clean because of what he's done for me in Jesus. You know, I think, I think sometimes we think, oh yeah, well I guess I've done this or I've done the other thing. We miss out on how beautiful, how wonderful, how amazing this is that God, through Jesus Christ, has forgiven us. Next time when we're confessing our sin, let's be excited about it. Let's be excited because we can come to God, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we can come boldly, boldly into his presence. And know that we are loved. And know that we are forgiven. And know that his mercy is greater than our sin ever could be. Some people in church, even church people, often turn away from Jesus as the perfect sacrifice, the perfect priest. Talk of his blood makes them squeamish. They argue that talk of Jesus as the perfect high priest who sacrifices himself for us, they say, oh, that's kind of primitive. And yet, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our perfect high priest, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus, the perfect high priest, can do what no earthly priest can do. He can bring us into the very presence of the living God, the living Lord. Friends, There's nothing more important than that. That's a hill to die on. Word number two, and it is one word, seated. Seated. Today's scripture says we have such a high priest who is seated. You know, the Levitical priests that were in the temple in the Old Testament, they never sat down. They were always More people coming who had more sins, and so they had to continually sacrifice animals for the sins of their people. But Jesus, our high priest, made his sacrifice on the cross, and then from the cross, Jesus cried out. You remember this from Good Friday? He cried out, It is finished, right. It is finished. His sacrifice was once and for all. This means that when we accept his sacrifice for our sins, there's no need for it to be repeated. 
He bore all our sins in a single cosmic sacrifice and then sat down. By his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has reconciled us to God and taken away our sin forever. We don't have to live in the fear that our continued sinning means we need more sacrifices. It's not for us to make sacrifices on his behalf or on our behalf. Jesus Christ has done it all, and he's done it for us once and for all. And so the Bible tells us he sat down. Praise God. Praise God. His sacrifice once and for all. It's a hill to die on. Word number three. Well, I'm realizing it's also two words. (laughs) Right hand. Right hand. The writer of Hebrews points points his readers, including us, to the fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, the Bible tells us. Not only is the writer of Hebrews telling us that Jesus is now in heaven with God, his Father, but he's saying that he sits at the right hand of God. And when he says that, do you know what he's telling us? He's telling us that God is reigning, Jesus is reigning with God in power, in power and in authority. The right hand, the right hand is the symbol of power and the symbol of strength. But you see, the power and strength which belongs to Jesus at God's right hand is also extended to the followers of Jesus here on earth. Did you ever think about that? By the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is connected to us, his followers. As one commentator put it, we are in in Christ who is seated in heaven, and therefore Christ is in us working with power. How awesome is that? Did you catch that? How awesome is that? The very power of God acting through Jesus Christ is extended to followers of Jesus here on earth. And we can see this power at work in the lives of everyday, ordinary Christians. People who have peace when from a worldly perspective, they shouldn't have any peace at all. It's a kind of peace, for instance, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer had when the Nazi guards came to to drag him off and were taking him to be hanged. And as they were taking Bonhoeffer away, he yelled out to his fellow prison mates. He yelled out to them, this is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. To have that kind of peace, to have that kind of confidence in such a situation, 
That is the power of God in Christ working in him. And it's a power that is extended to each and every one of Jesus' followers today. We can live in a way that's different from the world. We can live with a hope. We can live with a peace. We can live with a strength. We can live with a courage that's not from us, but from the power of God in us. The power of Jesus Christ in me and in you. Friends, that's to die for. Word number four, ministry. Ministry. So what exactly is it that Jesus is doing in heaven? Did you ever wonder that? Well, the writer of Hebrews says he is a minister in the holy places, interceding on our behalf. And then he explains a little bit more in verse 3 of today's reading. He says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, that is Jesus, also to have something to offer. A minister, think about this, a minister is someone who serves, someone who offers something as a service to other people. The priests in the temple served by sacrificing animals. But this was only a shadow of a more excellent ministry, the ministry that Jesus has. Kent Hughes explains the ministry of Jesus and how he serves this way. He writes, Serving is part of the divine being. Think of it. Jesus, our eternal priest, who sits at the Father's right hand in ineffable glory, enthroned amongst the adoration of millions, get this, serves on our behalf. He writes, God serves me. God serves me? It is, he says, a ludicrous expression, and yet it is true. Take a deep breath, swallow your incredulity, and humbly believe it. Jesus' prayers are placed in your service and in mine. There are no lapses, no disaffections, no uneven devotion, only a loving constancy of intercession. Jesus, serving, 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 serving. In the presence of such a loving Savior, what can we do? What can we do but worship him? I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. A love, friends, this strong. A love this amazing is a hill to die on. And finally, the fifth word, the true tent. Verse 2 of today's reading tells us that Jesus is now ministering 
interceding on our behalf, serving us, as amazing as that is, in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. This is where Jesus is now, in the true tent in heaven, and the earthly tent which Moses set up, the earthly tabernacle, was only a, a copy, a, a temporary substitute for the true tent. Richard Phillips explained it this way. He said, and he, Jesus, awaits us in heaven, not merely passively seeing if we will make it. No, he draws us to himself by his divine power. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. Think about this. Each time Jesus forgives us, each time he pours out his mercy upon us, each time he blesses us with his grace, each time he washes us clean with his blood, he draws us ever closer to himself. He draws us so that, as he put it, he put it where I am, there you may be also. The more we taste of his mercy, the more we taste of his grace, the more we long to be with him, the more he draws us, draws us, draws us to himself. And he who draws us to himself is a hill to die on. These five words from today's scripture are the heart, the center, and the very core of our faith. Jesus is our high priest by whose sacrifice our sin is washed away. He is seated because his sacrifice was once and for all, and it is finished. No other sacrifices are necessary. And now he is at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, the very power of God in Jesus Christ. And that power, amazingly, is extended to us as his followers. And by his ministry, his ministry of interceding for us, God in Jesus serves us. How awesome. How awesome that the God of the universe, in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, wants to serve us. And now, from the true tent which is heaven, Jesus, shed blood pours out to you and to me. And with each precious drop of mercy that cleanses us, we are drawn ever closer to him, ever closer to Jesus. Friends, I hope you see that these words are way more than just ancient words, way more than just something that's interesting. I hope you'll see they're greater than any religion. They are the essence, the essence of who Jesus is, and they are also the root of who we are as his followers. These friends are words to stake our lives on. 
These words are a hill to die on. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your words to us today. And Lord, I confess that when I first looked at these words, I wondered, what could I say? What, what are they saying? And yet, Lord, as I dug into these words, I can see that you really have something to say to us. And so I pray this morning, Lord, that we will hear, we will hear these words and by the power of your Holy Spirit, we will be drawn to you. Lord, draw us more and more and more to you. Make us more like Jesus. Make us, make us a people who every day reflect your love, your light, and your glory. And may it all be for your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.